one more time tonight, church. The Word of God says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. There's only one that's worthy of our praise, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we just bless the praise band and the praise team and Ben and Jennifer for just bringing us closer to the Lord this evening. How good it is to see you in God's house. Tell them a message this evening is an urgent word continued. A couple weeks ago, I took you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, or verse 11, where Peter speaks an urgent word to the churches and to the people of God that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He brings this word to individuals that had heard him preach on the day of Pentecost, and it's those that got saved on that day, those that were adding to the church daily. And we're going to continue this evening on that verse and with the same word of urgency. But before we go there, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. It's the day that you have made and we rejoice and we're glad in it. You gave us breath and gave us life. Father, it's my prayer that every time we breathe that we would bring glory to you and honor to you. We give you the praise tonight for the power of your presence. We just depend on you, Father God. I depend on you for your anointing, for your strength, your wisdom, your power. And your people need the same, God, so that they might receive your word with understanding and with gladness. So come against every distraction. Come against every hindrance, Father God. Come come against all of the cares and the concerns of this day, Father. And help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to receive every word that you have for us tonight, God. Help us to just glorify you this evening. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. As you recall, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter begins his letter with two words, dear friends, not dear strangers, not dear heathens, not dear citizens of Rome, but rather dear friends. And we need to understand that that reminds us that this word is for the believer. When he begins with dear friends, it reminds us that this word is for all of those who are part of the church, all of those who have called on the name of the Lord to be saved. This word is for everyone that calls themselves a Christian. It reminds us, these words, dear friends, that this word is for you and this word is for me. Amen? None of us are excluded from this word. Dear friends, he says, I urge you, or I admonish you, or I beseech you, or I entreat you like we learned, as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, and to live your life among the pagans in such a way that even though they mock you and speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify the Lord. Amen? And so far, I'm not going to re-preach it all, but I will refresh us on a couple things and go even a little bit farther in a couple things that we've looked at in a couple weeks ago. Thank you, Pastor Darrell, for filling in for me last week. I pray that you were blessed by his word as well. But so far in this passage, 
We've looked at who this word was addressed to. And like I said, it was addressed to the people of God. It was addressed to the children of God. It was addressed to the family of God. And all those who I said called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. We looked at the urgency in which Paul spoke these words. The conviction he had when bringing this word to the people. And I want to impress upon you the same importance that he impressed upon the people. It was an important word that he tried to impress press upon the hearts of the people and the Holy Spirit wants to impress the importance of this word on us as well. We look to Paul's reminder in this passage, in this one scripture, that this world is not our home. How many of you know you can read one passage and get a dozen things out of it? Amen? So there's a lot of important things that God wants us to get out of this, but we looked at Paul's reminder that this world is not our home that we are aliens in a strange land, that we are pilgrims passing through this temporary dwelling place to our home which is in glory, amen, to our home which is in heaven. Remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am you may be also. Jesus himself in this passage reminds the disciples and reminds us that we're not home yet. That He would come again to take them home so that they could be with the Father like He was with the Father. How many of you are looking forward to that day? How many of you are looking forward to that day when we can see Him face to face? That day when we can behold Him in all of His glory? That, that day when we shall dwell with Him forever? Now, I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I get tired of this old world. Sometimes I get tired with this old place, church, but it's great to know that there is coming a day, amen, when we shall be with Him forever. The sad reality is when we should be panging for that day and we should be praying for that day and when we should be preparing for that day. The sad reality is far too many of those in the house of God don't even think about that day. Not looking forward to that day, church. They, they don't think about their home in glory. They don't think about the coming of Jesus Christ. They rarely have their minds or their hearts set on things above, but rather they have their hearts and their mind set on things below, on temporary things instead of eternal things. Far too often the children of God and the people of God are storing up treasures on earth rather than storing up treasures in heaven. And this is part of Peter's message to the church, reminding us that this is not our home, that this is not our dwelling place, that there's a place ahead of us that we should long for and pray for and prepare for. Amen? Just like the children of Israel, far too often we settle on this side of the Jordan. You see, God had a place of promise for the children of Israel. He had a place that was reserved for them. He had a place that was prepared for them. And yet you find them settling on this side of the Jordan. You find them settling on this side of God's glory. You find them settling on this side of the anointing and on this side of the promise. Read the, the Scripture just on this side of the Jordan. God had to speak to them and said, You've been here long enough. Turn, pack up your bags, load up your camels, tear down your tents, take up the tabernacle and cross over into the promised land. But sadly, far too often, we, just like the children of Israel, we become comfortable in this place. We become satisfied with this place, this place that's passing away, this place that God has not called us to dwell in, church. And the sad reality is far too often we live our lives in a place where we're not experiencing the best that God has for us. And we're going to look at that as we go. But we cannot be like that, church. We cannot settle down into this crooked world. We cannot settle on this side of the Jordan. We can't dig spiritually. We can't dig our wells here. We can't pitch our tents here. We can't unpack our bags here. The sad reality is far too many in the house of God, church, those who call themselves Christian have grown comfortable here in this world and content right where they are. But the reality is that's not God's plan for your life and it's not His plan for my life. His plan is to take us into our promise. His plan is to take us to that, to that place that He has prepared for us and reserved for us. His plan is for us to live like we are just passing through because this is a temporary tabernacle on its way home. 
You see, you and I have to realize that we're a tabernacle, amen? We're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and this tabernacle has not found its home yet. This tabernacle has not come to its final resting place yet. We're, we're just passing through. And what God has told us to do, we, just like the tabernacle, have to be ready at any moment to just move where God wants us to move, do what God wants us to do. And if we, if we are attached to this world, if we've settled in this world, if we've unpacked our bags in this world, we're not ready to do the will of the Father. This is what we have to understand. If you look at Numbers chapter 1 verse 50, Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses 1 through 7, you find that the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build was a portable structure. It was a structure that was built temporarily. It was built so it could be taken apart and taken down and moved at a moment's notice. Whenever it was God's plan, whenever, the Bible says, read it, whenever it was time to move, the Bible says, the Levites were to tear down the tabernacle and continue their journey to the promised land. But far too often, read it, God's people got comfortable in a land filled with pagans. God's people got comfortable. They became complacent. They lost sight of God's promise. They lost sight of God's glory. They lost sight of, of the things that He had in store for them. And it's exactly what Peter was warning against in this passage that we're looking at. But the tabernacle was built in such a way that it could be picked up, torn down, and moved towards the promised land. And that's what we have to understand, that we are not home yet. We're on a journey. How many of you know that we are on a journey, church? We're on a journey to a higher place. We're on a journey to our heavenly home. We're, we're on a journey to our home in glory. We're on a journey to our promised land. And our promised land is heaven. Our promised land is that place where we can spend our eternity with the Lord Himself, church. We're on a journey and God warns us and He speaks to us and reminds us that we are on a journey to not become settled in in this world because this world is not our home. Understand the portability of a tabernacle shows that while it's important, it was not to be a permanent dwelling place for the people of God. The portability of the tabernacle reminds us that God had a better place and a promised place in store for the children of Israel and that they were not to settle in a land that was filled with pagans. It's exactly what Peter speaks of in this passage, and we'll look at that as I go. But I'm trying to lay a foundation to help us to understand that this is not our home. This is a temporary dwelling place, and you and I are supposed to live like pilgrims that are just passing through. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 2 and 3, when He said, If I go away, I will come again, so that where I am you might be also. And the reality is we cannot forget that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again to take us home. The reality is because we're not home. We're in a temporary place. The Bible says that we are to live like strangers in a strange land. And we talked about that a little bit the last time that I spoke. But the reality is we cannot forget that there's coming a day when the clouds will roll back. There's coming a day when the angel of the Lord will descend with a shout. There's coming a day when the trumpets shall sound and Jesus will take us home. And we have to remember that, church, that, that we are on our way home. But... According to 1 Peter and what we've just read, until He does, until He takes us home, read it, we are to live our lives in such a way that others might see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. The Bible actually tells us that we are to occupy until He comes. Jesus said the same thing. And when we read the word occupy, it doesn't mean occupy like we're moving into a place. It means that we are to remain occupied with higher things. We are to remain occupied and busy about the work of the kingdom and the work of the Father. We are to be busy occupying ourselves with kingdom work and not earthly work. You see, the reality is, as we go through our Christian life, God wants us to have our heart and our mind set in higher places than here on this earth. And the sad reality is so often we get occupied with the things of this world, occupied with the cares of this world, occupied with the, the responsibilities of this world, occupied with the, the things that just take up our time, church. When God says, until I come, I want you to be occupied with one thing. 
I want you to be occupied with moving the kingdom forward. I want you to be occupied by, by doing the will of the Father. I want you to be occupied doesn't mean unpack your bags. That's not what he's talking about. The last thing God wants you and I to do, and it might sound like a strange teaching to you, but the last thing God wants us to do is to unpack our bags here on this earth and be content with this life, be, be, be happy with this life, because we're just passing through. God's desire for us to, is to occupy until He comes, to use the ministerial gifts that are within each and every one of us until He comes to take us home. You see, the reality is every one of you in this place has a ministerial gift. And you're to be occupied using that gift until Jesus comes. You're to be occupied using whatever gift and talents God has placed within you until He comes to take you home. That's what He means by occupy until I come. Understand, Peter's word was urgent, church, because God's people were at the risk of settling in. They were at the risk of settling down. Every time God spoke to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, uh, a word like this, it was because they were becoming complacent. It's because they were forgetting about God, because they, they overlooked the commands of God. They, they lo- were losing their devotion to God. And, and Peter speaks these words to the New Testament church because they were at risk of the same thing, of settling in and settling down. And God speaks the same thing to the church today when the church is at risk of settling in and settling down in this temporary dwelling place and becoming content with what this world has to offer we have to understand that Peter spoke these words of urgency because they were in, there was a danger of them becoming conformed to the culture of the world. The world that they were surrounded by, the society in which they live, and the same reality is today. Listen, there is a danger of every one of us becoming conformed to the culture that surrounds us. It's what the devil's desire is. It's for us to be conformed to the society that's around us. And in in, in the New Testament where Peter speaks about this, the, the citizens of God were in danger of conforming themselves to a wrong kingdom and a wrong culture. Every day the devil will try to conform you to this kingdom and this culture instead of the kingdom of God and the culture of God. Every day he will try to get you to take on his likeness instead of the likeness of Jesus Christ to be a representation of this earthly kingdom instead of a heavenly kingdom. Because listen to me, the last thing the devil wants wandering around this earth is a representation of Jesus Christ. The last thing that the devil wants is the representation or the, the, the culture of God's kingdom being cultivated on his territory. Please remember this is his territory. He is the prince of this earth. He has given rule and reign over this earth. This is his territory. And the last thing he wants wandering around on his turf and his territory is a representation of God. If you know anything about gang wars and gang stuff that's going on, the last thing one gang wants on their turf is someone from another gang, someone from another territory. And it's exactly the way the devil operates. He does not want the likeness of God. And he does not want the culture of God's kingdom to be cultivated here on this earth. But it's exactly what Peter was calling us to do when he said, I want you to live in such a way in this earth so that those that are around you mock you and threaten you and want to do all sorts of evil against you can see your good works, can see the character of Jesus Christ and the culture of God's kingdom here on this earth and glorify the Lord because of it. That's a challenge to every single one of us, church. Live in such a way that this wicked world can see God in our life. It was urgent because complacency and forgetfulness were becoming bedfellows and best friends to the people of God, not to the heathens. He was speaking to the church and complacency and forgetfulness were becoming an everyday part of their life. The reality is they, they were beginning to forget about the things of God. They were beginning to grow complacent in their relationship with God and their devotion to God. And listen to me, when you get complacent, it's a dangerous place to be. When you get complacent about prayer, when you get complacent about the Word, it's a dangerous place to be because it's when, it's when the, the character of this world and the culture of this world begin to creep into your life. 
and begin to do damage to our spiritual life. It was an urgent word because complacency and forgetfulness were becoming part of their life. The word was urgent because eternity was slipping from their minds, church, and slipping from the hearts of God's people. And the sad reality is the same thing happens today. The same thing is going on in the house of the Lord. Eternity is slipping from our minds. Eternity is slipping from our hearts. I'll ask you, ask myself, when's the last time you thought about eternity? When's the last time you actually thought today the Lord could come? When's the last time you panged for His coming? When's the last time your heart longed for the coming of the Lord? When's the last time you prayed for the Lord to come? Come quickly, Lord. When's the last time you found yourself preparing for the coming of the Lord, preparing your family, preparing your children, preparing your friends for the the coming of the Lord? See, when we forget about eternity, those things become unimportant. And when they become unimportant, they become undone. But we're the ones that have to do the work of the Lord. We're the ones that have to be light. We're the ones that have to be salt. We're the only ones that can make a difference in this crooked and perverse generation. We're the ones that have to pang for the the coming of the Lord and pray for it and prepare for it as well. We have to be ready for the coming of the Lord. That's why the word was so urgent, because eternity was slipping from the minds of God's people and the minds of God's children. They were becoming more concerned about the temporal. Study it, read it. They were becoming more concerned and interested in temporal things than eternal things. They were busy storing up treasures on earth. Again, the church, not the world. He was speaking to the church and said, Dear friends, I'm speaking this word because you're becoming more concerned about temporal things than eternal things. You see, when eternity, please understand this, when eternity begins to drift from your mind and eternity begins to drift from your heart, the temporary floods in. When eternity begins to drift from your heart and from your mind, the only thing left to satisfy the soul, the only thing left to occupy your mind are temporal things, lowly things, uh, uh, things that are destined for destruction and passing away. It's exactly why God said, set your mind on things above. We need to be drawn to a higher place. We need to be drawn to a, to a higher culture, church, because if we're not, if eternity drifts from our minds... We lose effectiveness. But this is exactly what God is saying. The word was urgent because God's people were being seduced by the things of the world. Read it. He said, as aliens and the strangers abstain from sinful desires. He wouldn't be speaking that if they weren't giving in to sinful desires. The church was giving in to sinful desires. Listen to me. The same thing's happening today. The church is giving in to sinful desires left and right. It's giving in to the the secretions and the, the seductions of this wicked world. It's giving in. And it's exactly why the Holy Spirit is speaking the same urgent word to the church today. Because he sees the world creeping in. He sees the culture of this kingdom making its way into the church, which is supposed to be light and supposed to be salt and is supposed to be a completely different image and culture than that which is out there in the world. And that's why it's an urgent word. They forgot that they were passing through. And far too often we do exactly the same thing. We forget that this is a temporary place and that we've got a higher call in our lives, church. The truth is we all have to start lifting our eyes to a higher hill. We as Christian sons and daughters have to start lifting our eyes to the heavens each and every day. We have to keep looking up because our redemption, Jesus said, is drawing near. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. It's nearer today than it was last week. It's nearer today than it was last month. It's nearer than it was last year. We must look up because our redemption draws near. It's a reminder that Christ is coming again. It's a reminder that we shouldn't be attached to this world or the things of this world. This is what we have to understand, church. We must lift our eyes and start setting our hearts and our minds above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father because the Word of God tells us that He's only coming for the ones that are waiting and what? Watching. He's coming for the ones that are waiting and watching. 
And the devil knows that. The devil knows this word better than you and me. And the devil understands if I can distract God's people, if I can get them focused on these things below, if I can polish up the rust, if I can polish up the sin, if I can make it look good and and make it seductive and make it shiny and make it pretty. You see, everything we place value here on this earth, it's dirt. It's one day destined for destruction, but the devil knows how to pretty it up. He knows how to make it attractive. So what's he do? He puts all these things in front of you to get your eyes from here to here, to get your heart from here to here. It's exactly what the devil does. He seduces you with the things of this world. He gets your mind off the kingdom of God and the things of God, church. Because if he can do that, he knows that you will be unprepared for the coming of the Lord. His his destiny is sealed. He already tried to exalt himself. He already took his eyes off of where they were supposed to be and put them on himself, church. That's why he was thrown, because he took his eyes off the, the glory of the Lord and he began to look at me, myself, and I. And he wants you to do the same exact thing. He wants your eyes to be focused on lower things so you're not ready when the coming of the Lord takes place in our life. And this is what Peter is trying to preach to the church. He's trying to remind us to not be seduced by the things of the world. Listen, the reason Peter's words were so urgent is because the reality is a war is waging. The Bible says, Peter said it himself, as strangers in this world abstain from the sinful desires which what? Wage war against your soul. The truth is there's a fighting going on tonight. The truth is that there is a fighting against your soul and your spirit going on right now. Every day you wake up, I want you to clearly understand that the, that the host of, of, of hell itself are out to get you. There is a war taking place for your soul and for your spirit. For your wife's soul and your wife's spirit, your husband's soul and your husband's spirit, for your children's soul and your children's spirit, for, for the neighborhood. There's a, there's a war going on. For every soul and spirit that walks on this earth, church, there's a a hostility, there's a conflict taking place right now. The devil doesn't want you receiving this word. The devil wants to snatch it away. The devil doesn't want you to come to the truth. The devil doesn't want you to receive a revelation. The devil doesn't want you to think about eternity. The devil doesn't want you to, to concentrate on the word. There's a conflict going on right now. There's a battle going on. There's a struggle going on. There's a fight for supremacy for your soul and my soul, and it takes place every single day. There is a war waging against your soul, the Bible says. And if we live unaware of that, guess what? We're going to lose. If we live unaware of the fact that there's a war waging over the supremacy of my soul, the devil wants supremacy, and the Holy Spirit wants supremacy. There's a battle going on tonight. And every time we arise... Every time we walk through the day, every time we make a decision, every time we look at something or prepare to do something, we have to be conscious of the fact that there is a war going on right now. One side wants me to do this, and one side wants me to do this. And your choice will determine who wins, the flesh or the spirit, church. That's why the Bible talks so often about walking in the spirit so you don't satisfy the desires of your flesh because there is a war waging against your soul. The truth is that there is a battle for supremacy. It's why Peter's words were urgent, because there's a war waging against us. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. He doesn't fight with earthly swords. He doesn't use guns and bullets. The world does. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's concerned about one thing, your soul. He's concerned about one thing, your spirit. That's it. Because he knows that if your soul and your spirit isn't ready for eternity, when the Lord comes back, you could spend eternity in hell, church. That's what he's fighting for. Just like he drew one-third of the heavenly host out of heaven, he wants to draw as many people as he can off of this earth to their final destination, which is hell. He doesn't want to suffer by himself. He wants to bring as many people with him, church. Usurp God's authority and sit on the throne of your heart. And if we're not aware that there is a war waging, we'll go through life completely different. We have to understand that this is an urgent word because there is a war waging. 
It's not a, it's not a game of patty cake. It's not a playground that we're on. This, this place, please understand, this place between here and heaven, like the place between Egypt and, and Canaan, it was always a battlefield. It wasn't a picnic. It was a journey, but it was a battlefield. The, the children of God and the people of God were always fighting the enemies of God. And the same thing goes for us. This is not a playground that we're passing through on. It's a battleground. And between here and eternity, there's a fight that's being waged every single day. And you have to decide, am I gonna, who's going to win the fight? Am I prepared to win the fight? Every day on the way to eternity, a fight is being fought. And we have to be prepared for that fight, church. It's why it's an urgent word. The reality is if we don't heed the words, the word of the Lord, if we don't heed the, the, the urgency of what He's speaking into our lives, if we forget that we're just passing through, if we lose sight of our heavenly home, if we turn our eyes from heaven onto the things of this earth, church, if we forget that He's gone to prepare a place for us so that where He's at we can be also, listen, we'll lose the fight. If this world becomes our home, we'll lose the fight as well. We learned last week that we have to be rooted in the kingdom of God. How many of you want to win the war? Then we have to listen to His voice. We have to heed His word, church. We've got to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against us each and every day. We have to abstain from the seductions of a sinful society and live uprightly before the Lord until He comes. It's what this passage is teaching us. It's why Paul said, do not be conformed to this world. Why do you think, Paul said, don't be conformed to this world? Because he knew that this world was at war with your soul. Paul knew that this world is at war with your spirit and with your soul. And that's why he said, don't be conformed to this world, church. He understood that this world was trying to seduce us into a spiritual slumber. We can't afford for that to happen. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world because he understood that conformity brings spiritual complacency and conformity brings compromise, church. The reality is those that are compromised in their faith, those that are complacent in their faith, those that, that, are, those that are content with, with the things of this earth are easily conquered. And what you have to understand is that those that, 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 that conform to this world, church, are easily overcome. Those that are conformed to this world are easily conquered in their life because spiritual complacency takes place in their life and the complacent are easily conquered. The reality is you show me someone whose life is always overcome. Show me someone whose life is always a mess. Show me someone whose life is continually falling apart and nothing is ever going right in their life. Show me someone who is always overcome, always singing the blues, always being defeated by the enemy. And I'll show you someone who has conformed themselves to this world. I'll show you someone that has become complacent in their faith because conformity breeds complacency. Conformity breeds compromise. And it's why so many individuals in the house of the Lord are defeated each and every day. It's because they have conformed themselves to the wrong kingdom. But please understand me, when you begin to conform yourself to the kingdom of God... When you begin to dress yourself like Christ, when you begin to put on the full armor of God's kingdom in your life, the gates of hell can't stand against it. They might fight against you. They might come against you. But you're able to say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. But listen, if the only thing that's in you is the world and not God, you're going to be overtaken by the world. The only thing that can overcome this world is the character and the culture and the kingdom of God, the spirit of God itself. Show me someone who's continually conquered and I'll show you someone who has conformed themselves to the culture of this earth. You can't be conformed to the culture of this world and expect to overcome this world. We have to be conformed to the culture and the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom of God if we, have, if we expect to overcome it. Please understand, your soul, my soul are at the center of a conflict tonight. And like I, like I talked, two weeks ago, unless we're rooted in the kingdom of God, 
unless we're rooted in the soil of the kingdom of God, we're not going to win this fight. We won't find the strength to overcome, church. This is why Peter and Paul both pleaded with their listeners because they understood a war was waging and it is still waging today. It's why we must abstain from the things of this world because this world does have the power to defeat us if we conform. The last and final truth that Peter points out in this letter is that we're living among pagans. He said, live your life among the pagans in a godly way. Live your life among the pagans in a in a special way. Live your life among the pagans in a proper way. Live your life among the pagans in, in a way that, that you stand out. In a way that you look different. Stand, live your life among the pagans in such a way, read it, that they can see something that they don't see in this world. You see, the reality is we are supposed to live our lives among the pagans in such a way that we stand out, church. We're not supposed to blend in. That's why, again, why Paul said don't be conformed to this world because we're not called to blend in. We're called to be strangers in a strange land. We're called to be a peculiar people. You see, the reality is, and I think I touched on this a couple weeks ago, if people don't think you're peculiar, there's something wrong. Spiritually, honestly. If people don't look at us and think there's something peculiar about us when they measure us against the world, there's something wrong with us spiritually. We are to be a peculiar people. We are to live like pilgrims in a strange land. We are supposed to stand out from the rest of this world. And when you, when you, uh, when you are a reflection of God's kingdom, you stand out. You make a difference here in this world, church. But we are to live our life among the pagans in a godly and a proper way. Understand, we're living in a land of pagans, church. We're living in a land that's filled with idol worshipers. We're living in a land that's filled with foreigners to the kingdom of God and the culture of God's kingdom. We're living in a land filled with people that aren't acquainted with righteousness. They're not acquainted with holiness. They're not acquainted with godliness. They're not acquainted with the things of the Lord. We're living in a, in a land where the people are acquainted with temporal things and not eternal things, church. We're living in a land that is filled with idol worshipers, the Bible says. Individuals that have not been regenerated in their soul. They're unsaved. They're ungodly. They're unrighteous. Am I saying that in a, in a condemning way? No. I'm just letting you know that we are living in a land of pagans. We always will until we're, we're gone to glory. And what God is speaking to His children is that while you're in this land of pagans, I want you to live differently than they do. I want you to act differently than they do. I want you to stand out from them. I want you to be separate from them. You're going to be in the world, but don't be of the world, God said. We cannot conform ourselves to this kingdom. Live your life among the pagans in a godly way. You know as well as I do that we're living in a land that's filled with idol worshipers, church. Maybe they don't have the God of Akron. Maybe they don't have all sorts of other gods that we talk about in, in the Bible. Up in their front yard, but they're worshiping the gods of power, worshiping the gods of greed, worshiping the gods of popularity and pride, worshiping the gods of mammon and money, worshiping the gods of earthly success, of fame and fortune. They're worshiping the gods of Hollywood. They're worshiping the gods of uh, pop stars and porn stars and every other kind of stars you can imagine that are out there. We are living in a land of pagans. That's what a pagan is. A pagan is an idol worshiper. Someone that worships gods other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Anytime, listen, anytime we have a God above God, above the only wise God, the only true God, every time we worship anything above the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're acting like a pagan. We become an idol worshiper. And the sad reality is we're living in a society that worships all sorts of idols. We're not any different. And we're living in a land that worships Buddha. We're living in a land that worships Allah. We're living in a land that, that worships Hare Krishna and all those other gods. But we're living in a land in this culture that worships all sorts of other stars, entertainment stars and pop stars, and we're worshiping them. And Peter is telling us and God is telling us that we can't allow that in our life. We're to live our lives in such a way. We're to live our lives among the pagans that we look differently. We live our lives among the pagans in such a way that they can see Christ. 
please, you, you and I need to understand that as Christians, there's a way that we should live in this land. He said, you are to live your life among the pagans in such a way. There's a way that you and I should be living as Christians, amen? There's a way that you and I should be living in this world as sons and daughters of the Most High God. There's a way that we should talk. There's a way that we should walk. There's a way that we should dress. There's a way that we should do business. There's a way that we should, we'll say, live and move and breathe like I talked a few weeks ago. And it is in such a way that it sets us apart from the rest of the world. The reality is, or the question is, when the world looks at us, what, what kingdom do they see? When the world looks at us, what culture do they see being cultivated? When they look at our marriage, when they look at the way that we do business, when they look at who we date or how we date, when they look at how we dress, when they look at how we do business, when they watch us in the workplace... When they watch us driving down the road in the middle of rush hour traffic, when they watch us at the restaurant, when they watch us in this world, what do they see? Do they see the culture of God's kingdom or do we blend in with the culture of this kingdom? When they watch us in the middle of a difficult situation in our life that they know is going on, do we handle it just like this world? Do we handle it just like this earth? Or do we rise above it? Do we set our eyes into the hills? Do we look up to God? Do we begin to cultivate the culture of God's kingdom in our life in the midst of the pagans that surround us. That's the challenge that God has for us. He says, no matter what goes on in your life, no matter what situation you find yourselves in, no matter where it is, I want you to live in this land. I want you to live among the pagans in such a way that even though they mock you, and even though they threaten you, and even though they want to do all sorts of evil against you, they can see your good work, see the difference, see a different culture, see a different character developed in your life and glorify God because of it, church. When they look at us, who do they see? When they watch us, who is glorified? Who's glorified by the way that we act? When you go to work tom- tomorrow morning or whatever day of the week and they watch you do business and they watch you interact, and they watch you in the midst of whatever it is that you go through that day. Who's being glorified in your life? What kingdom gets the credit? Is it the kingdom of this earth or is it the kingdom of God? When they look at your marriage, what kingdom is being glorified? Is it the kingdom of this earth or is it the kingdom of God? In everything we do in word and in deed, the Bible says, we are to do it to glorify who? The Lord. So when they look at us, we're to be bringing glory to the Lord. Remember, we learned we're to be making Him magnificent. So when you go through your life each and every day and the world looks at us, who are we making magnificent? Are we making the kingdom of this earth magnificent or are we making the kingdom of God magnificent? Listen, if we're not making that kingdom magnificent, why would anybody want it? It's why the devil tries so hard to make this world look magnificent. It's why he tries so hard with all of his seductions. He wants this world to look magnificent because he's in a war. He's in a battle for the soul. And we need to make the kingdom of God look more magnificent than anything else, church. We are to live our lives, as I wind this down, in the midst of this world in such a way that others might see the character of Christ and the kingdom of God in us and glorify the Father because of it. It's exactly why God, the Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, church. Because when we're like this world, we have no effect over this world. When we're conformed to this world, the world can't see Christ. And if they can't see Christ in you and I, church, then they will never glorify the Lord. Here's what I close with. You and I need to understand that the only thing worth seeing in our life is the love of God. The only thing worth seeing in your life and my life is Jesus Christ. It's the only thing worth seeing. It's the only thing that will make a difference. It's the only thing that will have the, the power or the capacity to cause someone else around you to glorify the Lord. It's Jesus Christ Himself. This is what we have to understand. Listen, I'll, I'll use myself an example. If my wife and my kids don't see Jesus Christ in my life, then what they see is not worth seeing. You understand what I'm saying? If this world looks at you and looks at me and they don't see Jesus Christ and they don't see the kingdom of God, then what they see is not worth seeing. There's only one thing worth seeing in your life and my life and that's Jesus Christ. 
There's only one thing we're seeing in your life and my life, and that is the character of Jesus Christ. There's only one thing we're seeing in your life and my life, and that's the kingdom of God. If the, if the world sees anything else than the kingdom of God in my life and your life, it's not worth seeing. There's no value to what they see. But when they see the fruit of the Spirit, when they see the character of Jesus Christ, when they see the fruit of righteousness that we've preached about over the last 12 weeks before these words, when they begin to see the kingdom of God and the culture of God's kingdom develop in our life, that's what's worth seeing. And that's what makes a difference in their life. So the question is, when the world looks at us, what do they see? Are we standing out or are we blending in? Are we a reflection of this earthly kingdom or are we a reflection of God's kingdom, church? Peter said, live your life among the pagans in such a way that they would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And it's what he's called us to do. Real quick, the perfect example. I don't have the time to go into it. But if you read Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6, you'll find the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the story of Daniel in chapter 6. And if you read it, these four teenagers who had other names, then had other names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that was their God-given name. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked God, changed their name. To Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were pagan names. He changed their names. He changed their environment. He changed their culture. He tried to change their clothes. He changed their language. But there was one thing he was not able to do. He was not able to change their heart. He was not able to change their conviction. He was not able to change anything that was going on in the soul of their soul. And he was not able to change their God. And they lived their life among pagans in such a way that the king that threw them into the fire, the king that threatened them, the king that mocked them, the king that said, I'm going to put you in a furnace seven times stronger, when, they, when, they, when he threw them in and saw a, a fourth character walking around in the fire, the Bible says that he was amazed. And he approached the fire. And the one that threw them in the fire called them out of the fire and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, the reality is when you live your life in such a way that even amongst the pagans, the ones that mock you, the ones that throw you into the fire, the ones that ridicule you, the ones that do all sorts of evil against you, one day they're going to walk out and they're going to say, Blessed be the God of Jeff Merriman. Blessed be the God of Daryl Fowler. Blessed be the God of South Metro Ministries. It's what the king did. Blessed be the God. Glorified the Lord. He, you read it. He made the Lord magnificent all throughout His land. That's what it's all about. Us living our lives in such a way that the ones that mock us and threaten us will make the Lord magnificent. Go to Daniel chapter 6. Read it this week. I won't preach it. Daniel did the same exact thing. They devised all sorts of evil against him. Wanted to persecute him. Wanted to kill him. But he continued to live his life in such a way among the pagans that the king that threw him into the lion's den came out and set a decree all across the world. He sent a letter to every other nation. Every other nation! He sent a letter out and said, Blessed be the God of Daniel! Blessed be the God of Daniel because he lived in such a way among the pagans that they could see his good works. Listen, he didn't blend in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't blend in when the entire nation bowed down. Guess what? There were three teenage boys standing right back there. Wouldn't bow. Wouldn't blend in. Uh, keep wanting to end. But this world is going to do everything that it can to change your name. devil do everything he can to change your setting. Do everything he can to change your surroundings. He'll do everything that he can for one reason. He wants to change your God. That's all he wants. He wants to change your God. And it's exactly why Peter said, live your life in such a way that no matter what they say or do, you will gain the power 
to convert that soul. That's what it's all about, church. Us gaining the power to save this world. Us gaining the power to fulfill the great commission that says, Go therefore into all the earth and preach the gospel. Be an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when you're like Jesus, you have the power of Jesus to touch this world. How many of you want to touch this world? Stand to your feet. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Then what we have to say is, God, I'm willing tonight to live my life in such a way among the pagans, among the heathens, in my workplace, in my broken home, in my messed up family, in my neighborhood, in front of my heathen boss. doesn't matter. Wherever it is that I'm at, God, I know I'm living in a land of pagans, but while I'm here, I'm going to live in such a way that I'll have an impact on those that are around me so that one day, blessed be the God of Jehovah. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for your goodness, for your power. We thank you for the truth and the revelation. We thank you for the examples that you set before us, Lord God. You don't just tell us to do something. You show us it can be done, and then you empower us to do the very same thing. And the same God and the same anointing, the same promise, the same power that was on Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel is available for us tonight. But I pray that we would understand, God, that that power is released in our lives when we are willing to live in such a way. When we are willing to separate ourselves from this world, when we're willing to not be conformed to this world, when we're willing to stand up when everyone else sits down. When we're willing to say yes when everyone else says no. When we're willing to say no when everyone else says yes. Help us to live our lives in such a way here on this earth, surrounded by pagans, God, in such a way that they can see our good deeds, that they can see the character of Jesus Christ, that they can see the culture of your kingdom here in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. Help us, Father God, to abstain from fleshly desires, to abstain from the the sins of this world, to to abstain from the, the seductions of society, God, and to live our lives like Jesus Christ. Help us to rise above all of these things. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us to have our minds set on things above where Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand. Help us, Father God, to not allow eternity to slip from our minds or slip from our hearts. Help us to not pitch our tent here and dig our wells here and become uh, uh, attached and enamored by this world that is passing away. Help us to understand, God, that our affection and our heart should be set in one direction and one direction alone, and that is towards your glory towards our home which is in heaven. Help us to understand each and every day that we're passing through God, waiting for you to come. And until you do, let us heed the urgent words of Peter and Paul to abstain from the things of this world and to live our lives among the pagans in such a way that they can see our good works and make you magnificent, God because of how we live. I give you the praise and the glory and all of the honor. Thank you for the breath that you've given us. And with that breath, we praise you and say thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. Can we just bless the Lord for his word tonight, church? Amen.